Good morning, everyone. I'm happy to be with you again. Uh, West Africa Yatra, uh, now especially in this month of Kartik. We can all celebrate uh, Lord Damodar, but today we are celebrating in this verse the appearance of Srila Vyasadeva. <clears throat> Sutta Uvacha Dvapare Samanuprapte Tritiye Yuga Paryaye Jata Parasharat Yogi Vasavyang Kalaya Hare Sutta Goswami said, When the second millennium overlapped the third, the great sage Vyasadeva was born to Parashara in the womb of Satyavati, the daughter of Vasu. Purport There is a chronological order of the four millennia, namely Satya, Dvapara, Treta, and Kali. But sometimes there is overlapping. During the reg regime of Vaivasvatamanu, there was an overlapping of the 28th round of the fourth millennia, of the four millennia. And the third millennium appeared prior to the second. In that particular millennium, Lord Sri Krishna also descends, and because of this, there was some particular alteration. The mother of the great sage was Satyavati, the daughter of the Vasu, fisherman, and the father was the great Parasharamuni. That is the history of Vyasadeva's birth. Every millennium is divided into three periods, and each period is called a sandhya. Vyasadeva appeared in the third sandhya of that particular age. And so ends Srila Prabhupada's purport to this verse. Mukam karoti vachalam pangum langayate girim yat kripa tamaham vande shigurum dinataranam. This is the beginning of Sutta Goswami's answer to Shonakarishi's several questions, uh, beginning at the beginning of this chapter. And we could say that this verse is one of several beginnings of the Bhagavatam. <laughs> the Bhagavatam has a few beginnings. Uh, one of, <clears throat> uh, we can say the whole first canto, of course, is a beginning and it's a kind of a prelude uh, leading up to the be another beginning of the Bhagavatam, which is uh, in the first chapter of Canto 2, when Shukadev Goswami begins to speak, uh, replying to Maharaj Parikshit. Uh, in Canto 1, 
particularly beginning here with uh, the mention of Srila Vyasadeva's appearance, mm, we're getting the story of how Maharaj Parikshit uh, will meet Shukadev Goswami. This, of course, comes at the end of Canto, Canto 1, uh, but... Uh, what we're getting prior to this is a lot of a lot of background, and much of this background we can say is linking uh, the Bhagavatam to the Mahabharata. Uh, it's showing, in a sense, how the Bhagavatam functions as as a sequel to the Mahabharata, but a very special sequel, not simply uh, a sequential following of the Mahabharata, but something much more than that. Uh, and in particular, this story of, or this account of how Srila Vyasadeva uh, feels dissatisfaction at his compilation uh, of the Mahabharata and then his meeting of Narada, leading to him, leading to Vyasadeva, entering into meditation in which basically he has a vision of the Bhagavatam. So all of that is beginning with today's verse, which is describing... Uh, referring to the birth of Vyasa, which is a very unusual verse, uh, birth in, in several respects, one of which is the time situation described here as being an overlap uh, of Dvapara and Treta Yuga. What exactly that means I may not be able to explain. <laughs> uh, what occurred to me as a just a possible uh, kind of analogy, how we might understand, is uh, the notion of planetary retrograde. Um, sometimes it happens that the planet Mercury, and I believe also Venus, can appear from planet Earth to be going backwards. Uh, and why that happens is because of the relative positions of uh, these uh, planets to the Sun, uh, the Earth being farther away from the Sun than Mercury and Venus, uh, it can appear that they are going in retrograde, although, of course, it's not that either Mercury or uh, Venus actually stop their forward direction and go backwards, but it only appears like that. So this may be a, a, a crude analogy for uh, what Srila Prabhupada is explaining here as a uh, as a, a switching or an overlapping of of the two yugas which he is saying are 
are going in in progression. That is to say, there's a sequential uh, movement from one to the next, but something special happens in this case. And Prabhupada further explains why this is happening is because Lord Krishna appears. Uh, it is a very special time. Uh, a, a sort of footnote that may be of interest uh, regarding the yugas. Uh, we know the four names, Satya, Treta, Dvapara, and Kali. And uh, the, the name Satya is uh, slightly unusual, at least in the Mahabharata, to my knowledge. Generally, the term Krita Yuga is used. And it turns out that these four names, Krita, Treta, Dvapara, and Kali, are also the four names of the four sides of the Indian traditional type of dice. In the, in the dice game, there was... Uh, not the six-sided dice that, I don't know, in Africa, but in the West uh, one would be familiar with, but rather four sides, oblong shape, uh, and then the numbers are simply one through four. Uh, with number four being called in Sanskrit, in this context, krita, Number three, treta. Number two, or the the two count, dvapara and kali, uh, the the count of one. Uh, so there's a sense of there. There's a sort of association of the idea mm, of a reduction in value that's there with <laughs> with gambling with dice and the reduction in quality of the four yugas. Well, that's just a footnote. Uh, the main concern of us today is Srila Vyasadeva. And I thought we could uh, discuss some, some features of uh, the, we may say, the career of Vyasadeva, uh, beginning with his very unusual birth, described here briefly. As you may know, the story is that Parasharamuni uh, came uh, to be ferried across, I believe it's the Yamuna River, and uh, it was this young woman, Satyavati, uh, who is the boat woman, we may say. And on the way across... Uh, Parashara, we may say, propositions her and says, you will give birth to a great sage uh, and I will make all arrangements and you will have nothing to worry about. Uh, your virginity will be restored. Uh, your reputation will not be uh, damaged because uh, there will be, according to one version, he arranges for a fog to appear as they unite on this island uh, from which then 
Vyasa immediately appears and almost immediately disappears after informing his mother that if you simply call me, I will come. You can, you can call for me if there is some need, and I will hear you, and I will come. And that's all that he has to say to his mother, Satyavati, and then he disappears. Now, it's mentioned here in the purport that the, uh, the father of Satyavati is Vas, Vasu, and this refers to him as the fisherman. Uh, that may be one version. Another version uh, is that Vasu was a king who uh, had his daughter... Uh, put into hiding uh, in this fisher village uh, because he was afraid for the, the demonic influences that were coming. In any case, well, and from that is, the un, is this different understanding, namely that Satyavati is no ordinary girl. She was a princess. Uh, who was put into this position. In any case, Vyasadeva uh, departs, and this will be something, a kind of theme in his, in his life, that he has these special powers of appearing and disappearing. Uh, and... Uh, he will appear at important times in the course of uh, the, um, the history of the Mahabharata, and he will also disappear uh, at, uh, at critical times or after critical times. Vyasa is known as Vyasa because he divided... Vyasa can mean to divide. He divided the Veda. Why did he divide the Veda? Because he saw uh, the anomalous conditions coming. That will be described in verses coming up. He saw there would be trouble to, mm, to comprehend the Veda because of its massive uh, extent. And therefore, he divided the Veda into four divisions, and he taught the, uh, these divisions to, his, to four of his five Brahman disciples. Vyasadeva had five Brahman disciples, uh, See if I can remember them: Sumantu, uh, Jaimini, uh, Vaishampayana, Pila, and then Shuka, Shuka, Shuka Deva, uh, who was Shuka, of course, uh, was his son, and how he became his son is another story of which it seems there are different versions. In any case, uh, Vyasa 
divides the Veda and teaches these di the different divisions uh, to the first four of these Brahmin students of his. And it's been pointed out uh, that although one could expect that uh, the, the great sages, those who would have known the Veda, might have objected, that they might have criticized that you're dividing up the Veda. This is not proper. The, the Veda is one. That we find there is no criticism of Yasa for this. Rather, uh, he is he is praised, he is glorified because he is making the Veda more accessible. He's making it uh, more available for the people of the present age, of the age of Kali. Uh, so he is known as Vyasa for this reason. Of course, he is more. his fuller name is Krishna Dvaipayana Vyasa. The Dvaipayana comes from Dvipa. Dvipa means island, so it refers to his birth on the island in the middle of the Yamuna River. And then uh, he is also known as Krishna Dvaipayana, which is interesting. Uh, it's a, a kind of association or connection uh, of Vyasa with uh, Bhagavan Sri Krishna, who, of course, uh, has a very crucial role in Vyasa's uh, fifth work, if we like, uh, what comes to be known or which is referred to in the Mahabharata as the fifth Veda. Uh, this is then the other uh, point upon which Vyasa's fame, as literary fame, is resting namely his compilation, instead of, it's kind of the opposite. He was dividing the four Vedas and he was compiling or composing uh, the Mahabharata. He was composing the Mahabharata and he is involved in very important ways in the Mahabharata as grandfather of uh, both the Pandavas and the Kauravas. He is involved also as uh, an important priest. He is involved as guru uh, for the Kauravas and the Pandavas. Uh, and uh, in general, as an advisor, uh, for several important figures in the Mahabharata. So, Vyasa has this uh, quite paradoxical identity. He is the composer of the Mahabharata and he is an actor in the Mahabharata, one who is sometimes predicting what is going to happen. 
within the story of the Mahabharata. So what I'd like to do now for a few minutes is I'm, I'm drawing on uh, some uh, information that was put together by one uh, scholar about specifically about Srila Vyasadeva. So I'm taking help from this scholar, Bruce Sullivan, uh, who analyzes four different roles that Srila Vyasadeva uh, takes with respect to specifically the Mahabharata. Uh, this scholar is not speaking about the Bhagavatam, and one reason I'm bringing all of this up is because it helps us, I think, appreciate just what is happening when Srila Vyasadeva, so to speak, complains uh, or laments, uh, and then Narada comes and uh, gives him guidance to, uh, to then compile uh, the Bhagavatam. This gives us a richer appreciation uh, of the background that Vyasa is uh, prior to his uh, speaking the, the Srimad Bhagavatam. So these four different roles of Vyasa in the Mahabharata or in relation to it are, first of all, as a rishi, uh, the word rishi is often translated in English as seer. Uh, so the Vedic rishis were seeing the hymns of the Veda, uh, means that they would have a vision of what was already existing, the Vedas understood to be without author, and then they would, uh, they would speak or they would sing the hymn. Uh, and that uh, was that was a mediation of of the rishis. So Vyasa is the rishi of the Mahabharata of the fifth Veda. Uh, and of course, as we mentioned, he's also regarded as rishi with respect to his dividing of the Veda. Um, we may come back to the different roles, but I'll uh, go through the four quickly first. The second role that Vyasa plays is as a priest. Uh, he becomes the lead priest, the head priest, in the Rajasuya sacrifice uh, of Yudhishthira, and he's also uh, the head priest of the Ashvamedas sacrifice, which comes after the uh, after the great war of Kurukshetra. Mm. Uh, the third aspect or role uh, of Vyasa is that he is a yogi. Uh, he is a tapasvi. He is an ascetic. And as an ascetic, he, uh, he develops these special powers, one of which is, I mentioned before, his power to disappear and to appear. 
but he has other other powers as well, and we may look at some of these. And uh, there is a fourth role, and that is Vyasa as guru. He is the spiritual preceptor, as I mentioned, uh, for both the Kauravas and the Pandavas. As such, uh, with regard to the Kauravas, he's, um, he tries, he tries to persuade them to, uh, to give up their animosity toward the Pandavas, but in this respect, he fails. And uh, we may look at that also, we'll see how the time goes, but this author points out that there are uh, three what we could call failures on the part of Vyasa. So on the one side, one side he is the great Vyasa, uh, who is uh, understood, we understand, he is an avatar of Narayan, of Vishnu. Uh, and with respect to the Mahabharata, it, it has been argued that uh, there were three mistakes or failures on his part, uh, which we may, of course, understand as being, on another level, purposeful or intended uh, to happen. <clears throat> um, so going back to his being a rishi, uh, just one or two examples more of this, uh, is mm, that he has uh, he is recognized in the Mahabharata as being Divya Chakshu. He has divine sight, uh, and mm, yeah, with this sight, he could see uh, things happening uh, which were outside of the purview uh, of. Uh, everyone involved in the action of the Bharata dynasty. So, for example, uh, when the Kauravas uh, decided to uh, attack the Pandavas while the Pandavas were in exile in the forest, um, Krishna Dvaipayana Vyasa saw what was going to happen. Uh, he could see this. He was not present. He wasn't there in the court of the Kauravas, but he knew that something was going to happen. And therefore, he interfered. He, he suddenly appeared and he, he said, <laughs> basically, uh, get the, be gone. You don't uh, belong here. Um. Another example of his divine sight is that uh, toward, at the end of the war, Vyasa could see into the mind of, Gand, uh, of Gandhari, that Gandhari wanted to, she was planning, she wanted to curse the Pandavas for killing her sons. So Vyasa appeared before Gandhari and persuaded her not to curse them. There's no point, there's no value 
uh, in, in cursing them, your sons are not going to come back as a result of such a curse, and it will simply cause more, more trouble uh, in the future if you curse them. Uh, I mentioned the second role that Vyasa uh, acted as priest for uh, the for the Pandavas. He was the chief priest, uh, which means that he was in the position of the Brahmin, uh, the Brahmin priest. Uh, there's the uh, the Hotri, the the Brahmin, the Advaryu. And uh, there's one other, Atarvana, uh, and uh, he took the position of the Brahmin priest in the Rajasuya, which means it's the Brahmin priest who is overseeing the entire, uh, uh, all of the rituals, and he is monitoring to make sure everything is done properly. The Brahmin is silent throughout the ritual except if something goes wrong. If a mantra is spoken wrong uh, or is uh, excluded or something is done not correctly, then he will interfere and he will make the correction. And what that means is he has to know (laughs) better than anyone else. He has to know all the Veda. Uh, and and be very alert uh, to catch any mistake that's made because if a mistake is made, it can be a disaster. As it turns out, uh, the Rajasuya did have a disastrous result. And, uh, well, this is a little bit jumping to this point of mistakes, but uh, it, it's it's been explained that the dicing game that takes place between uh, Maharaj Yudhishthir and uh, Drona, uh, Duryodhana, or rather Shakuni, is actually part of uh, the ritual program, the ritual process of the Rajasuya. Uh, Yudhishthir was obliged, in order to complete the ritual, he had to uh, he had to do this this uh, this game. He had to participate in this game. Uh, and as we know, the game got out of hand, uh, and that's because of the cheating of Shakuni and so on. Uh, and Vyasa is at this point seemingly unable to interfere. Uh, the in the Rajasuya, the person who sponsors the the the, the yagya, the, the ritual, the king, is supposed to win. <laughs> uh, but in this case, he doesn't win. He loses. And Vyasa seems to be un, unable to reverse this. Uh, he's also, uh, Vyasa is also, as I mentioned, the pre- chief priest of the Ashvamedha, uh, which comes at the end of the war, and this was again sponsored by um, Yudhishthir. Now Yudhishthir is feeling great remorse, great guilt, uh, 
and feeling the burden of great sin uh, for uh, responsibility of the death of so many uh, so many warriors in in this fight and in order to rebalance in order to um, in order to be able to rule he feels it is necessary to perform this uh, ashvamedha an interesting detail in this regard is that Vyasa advises Yudhishthir uh, to triple the dakshina, the payment to uh, the priests, so that the merit uh, from the sacrifice will be tripled, and by this he will become thoroughly freed from this, the sin uh, of the killing of his kinsmen. It's also Vyasa, incidentally, prior to the beginning of the Ashvamedha, who informs Yudhishthir where to find uh, the wealth in order to pay for this Ashvamedha. Because uh, initially, Yudhishthir says, I can't really do this because my treasury is empty. We just fought a war and I spent all my money. And uh, Vyasa says, no problem. Uh, this is where you can find uh, <clears throat> um, gold, namely at uh, one Maruta's sacrifice, which had happened long before in the Himalayas. And that's when Arjuna is sent, and th this is coming back. Arjuna becomes known as Dhananjaya, the winner of wealth. Okay, now uh, the third role of Vyasa uh, as yogi or tapasvi is quite interesting. First aspect or result of his austerity is mm, his power of knowing past, present, and future. Uh, and this uh, is sort of tied together with his powers of appearing and disappearing. Regarding his omniscience, there are a few examples given. He predicted uh, that the, the princes of... Uh, uh, the family, the Kauravas, before they were born, he princed that they would, or, sorry, he predicted that they would be flawed, they would be faulty. I'm sorry, backing up further, he predicted that uh, the three kings that he would father would be uh, faulty. As we know, Vyasa is called eventually by his mother, Satyavati, in order to father uh, sons uh, to replace his half-brother, Vichitravirya, uh, who had uh, died apparently uh, of, um, what is the condition? 
a lung condition. It's word is not coming to my mind. Um, tuberculosis. Yes, apparently he dies of tuberculosis uh, soon after his his marriage. So Vyasa is called in, and as we know, Vyasa is um, as as a ascetic. He is not keeping himself to look attractive. He has no interest to look attractive. Uh, it's actually discussed at one point. He decides uh, to live in the uh, in the style of the uh, Vanaprastha, not as a sannyasi. Shuka, his son, will be a sannyasi, but. Uh, Vyasa will be a vanaprastha, which is to say he will still have some connection with, uh, with society, with, uh, with the world, and therefore he will not shave his head. Apparently, uh, Vyasa had uh, long, very long um, dreadlocks that were red in color, uh, and probably also a long beard, <laughs> and so he was. Uh, his appearance was rather frightening. It was, in any case, so frightening uh, for Ambika that uh, during the time of uniting, she closed her eyes. She could not bear to even look at this uh, person. And because of her closing her eyes, but also, it said, because Vyasa felt some anger toward her for that and toward, to the whole situation, he said, uh, the, the, the child who is born will be born blind. So he saw this. And we know this similar story that comes... Uh, with Ambalika's union with Vyasa, she turns pale, therefore Pandu becomes pale, and uh, this becomes a source of his, his failures uh, in, uh, in the position of king. And of course, uh, Vidura uh, is born of a servant woman because Ambalika absolutely will have nothing to do with Vyasa a second time. And so they send in uh, a substitute, a servant uh, young woman. And uh, the child born is Vidura. And ironically, Vidura, who is, of course, none other than Dharma himself, uh, is the wisest of the three. Uh, Vyasa also predicts the exile of the Pandavas uh, as well as their eventual recovery of the kingdom. Mm. He could see, Vyasa could see the thoughts of Yudhishthira and also of Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya. And he predicted uh, the outcome of the war between the Pandavas 
and the Kauravas, uh, and he predicted the survival of Sanjaya. Um, he also revealed who is Draupadi, because as she uh, was won by, uh, by Arjuna, and this led to this awkward situation with Kunti saying, whatever it is you have won, you must share equally, meaning now uh, Draupadi will have five husbands. It's Vyasa who says, that's fine. This is actually re- realizing uh, a, a, a desire of Draupadi from her previous life when she was worshiping Lord Shiva, Shiva and ask, um, requesting from him a husband five times. Mm. Well, all in all, we can say that uh, the Mahabharata is a kind of revelation of uh, the knowledge of Vyasadeva. But again, then we see with the Bhagavatam that he is not satisfied, he is not happy. And we may say one reason he is not happy uh, is the three sorts of failure uh, which, for which he may be considered in some sense responsible in the Mahabharata. Uh, and let's see if I can find this portion. Maybe not. In any case, uh, one of these failures... uh, Here we go. Yes, the first failure is his fathering of flawed princes. The whole situation in the Mahabharata is a concern for for dynastic continuity. Uh, the problem that comes again and again in the Mahabharata is the continuity of the dynasty. Vyasa is called in to solve the problem, but he doesn't really solve it. <laughs> he, uh, he, he, fathers, uh, he fathers Dhritarashtra and Pandu and Vidura, none of whom are really solving this problem because of what their conditions lead to with regard to the conflict, the the sons of Dhritarashtra, the sons of Pandu coming into conflict because they actually both have reasonable arguments why they uh, should be um, mm, taking the position uh, of ruling the kingdom. Uh, there's there's, there's um, complexity involved. The second failure, so to say, of Vyasa is, as I mentioned, the ritual uh, of the, uh, the Rajasuya, which includes the dicing game. And we know what happens with the dicing game. Of course, the first... Um, phase of the of the dicing game in which in which Yudhishthir loses everything is then reversed 
by Dhritarashtra, uh, when he sees how everything has gone, and uh, but then the reversal is again reversed by one more match of the dice in which again Yudhishthir loses, uh, requiring him and his uh, brothers to enter the forest for 12 years plus one year incognito. And the third failure, so-called failure, is Vyasa's attempts uh, to, mm, to arrange a truce or to arrange an agreement uh, between the Kauravas and the Pandavas. Uh, he tries uh, diplomatically to bring some understanding. As we know, Krishna even comes to the court of the Kauravas. He even, uh, Krishna reveals his a universal form, which is kind of the opposite of the universal form he shows Arjuna. Uh, the the form that he shows Arjuna, which of course comes later, uh, he is uh, consuming the entire cosmos into his mouths. Uh, the uh, universal form he shows uh, Dhritarashtra and Dronacharya prior to the war, he is manifesting the universe from his mouth. So there's... He's showing both, but Dronacharya uh, dismisses this show as simply some magic, and the effort of Vyasa uh, to to mitigate between the two parties uh, ultimately fails, and therefore the war takes place. As we know, as we understand, the war takes place because actually Krishna wants it to take place. And why does he want it to take place? Well, it all goes back to the problem uh, of the the earth being overburdened uh, with demons and uh, they need to be removed. And so Krishna appears and uh, all of this happens in due course. Okay, so all of this is uh, being told by uh, Sutta Goswami, and he is beginning with the birth. Uh, we can say it's one of several anomalous births in the Bhagavatam. Uh, but of course, that of Vyasa is particularly important. Uh, and we celebrate Vyasa, we celebrate Vyasa's appearance uh, when we celebrate Vyasa Puja. And what we are celebrating are, in a sense, two, uh, two personalities. We celebrate our own uh, spiritual master. We celebrate the spiritual master's appearance as a representative of Srila Vyasadeva. And we celebrate Srila Vyasadeva uh, because he has made accessible to us uh, the the truth of the Veda by his dividing the Veda, by his 
also by giving the Mahabharata and most importantly for us uh, as followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, by his giving us the Srimad Bhagavatam. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. So these are a few points. Perhaps there's some comment, some question we can discuss further for a few minutes. I don't know if that connection is explicitly made, but it's an interesting question because um, you may or may not know there's there's one day um, during the month of Kartik in which uh, there's a leela of Radha and Krishna playing dice. <laughs> So it's something that Krishna does. And it's also uh, done famously by uh, Shiva and Parvati. Of course, we can say, yes, uh, they they are Krishna. That is Krishna, that is Shiva. We cannot imitate. And we can say, yes, exactly, this is the point. Uh, There's a nice little observance I've seen done in Vrindavan in the Radharaman temple uh, on this, I think it goes for uh, maybe three days and if I remember it's toward the end of Kartik when uh, two pujaris come on the altar and sit down facing each other in front of the altar in front of Radharaman uh, and they play dice. <laughs> they do this, it's just for a few minutes, they're playing the dice, and you can watch as they're rolling the, this traditional type of dice. Uh, and in this way, they're like representing Radha and Krishna. And as I mentioned, it's also part of uh, this of the Rajasuya, so it would be an aspect. It it would be something that that kings do apparently, something the Kshatriyas do. So this may help us also understand that it's not for us. In that um, society of Vaishnavas, we are pursuing Brahminical culture, uh, and so we follow regulative principles uh, which are basic to that culture. So gambling would be against that principle. It would be counter to the 
to the Brahmanical culture, Brahmanical practice. I don't think we hear of, of Brahmins playing dice. Yes. I don't want to say no, but I don't want to say yes either. I would say if they're worshiping, I would say if they're worshiping Vyasa, they would be more close in their practices to Vaishnavas. Since Vyasa is Krishna Dvaipayana Vyasa, and he is, uh, a, he is a, a form of Narayan. My impression, and I can only say it's an impression because I, I haven't studied Rastrafarianism, uh, my impression is they would be closer to worshippers of Shiva. Thank you, Maharaj. <laughs> my last question is on the five disciples, many disciples of Yasadeva. Yes. Your questions are all very interesting, but you're sort of forcing me into the position of guessing. <laughs> I think that's one of those questions you'd have to ask Srila Vyasadeva. <laughs> but I could, I could imagine one good reason not to have more disciples is not to have more trouble. <laughs> Having many disciples means having more trouble. <laughs> disciples have so many needs and so many concerns. Uh, and also, it, it's, uh, he, I would say he saw his five disciples as uh, fulfilling his purpose. No? Yasa had specific purposes. And uh, by teaching the four disciples, the four uh, Veda, four divisions of the Veda, it's, it's mentioned they each then took uh, their, their portion of the Veda, which they had properly learned, and taught it to others. So that their purpose was fulfilled. Or, sorry, Vyasa's purpose was uh, fulfilled in disseminating the Veda. He didn't need more disciples. And, of course, Shuka, who's actually never referred to directly as Shukadeva, but we call him Shukadeva, uh, 
is um, is perfectly fulfilling his purpose of of teaching the Bhagavatam. There was no need for more. <laughs> that would be my response. Yes. Okay. Hare Krishna, Sri Bhuvanaji. Hare Krishna, good to see you. Mm. Yeah, let's let's think about that your second point, second question first. Why was he unable uh to restrain? Um it's mentioned that he predicted in advance that he saw what was going to happen. So although Vyasa is understood to be of course he was the father of both sides. Not only that, he was uh, or is an avatar of Narayan, so you'd think he, he is, um, he has the power. However, we may understand it differently. He was empowered in a very specific way. He was empowered as the Rishi of the fifth Veda, uh, which needed to go in a certain way, namely a very horrible way, um, for all of the purposes of Krishna to be fulfilled. Kalosmi loka kshayakrit pravidho. I am time, the destroyer of the worlds, Krishna tells Arjuna. Uh, so for that purpose, and of course, Krishna also tells uh, Arjuna, that uh, all of the uh, warriors on the battlefield, except for the Pandavas and a few others, are already killed by his arrangement. Uh, and so Vyasa, we could say, was re- keeping within his particular role. If we wanted to say, well, he really could have stopped it if he wanted to. Then we would have to say yes, and therefore it seems he didn't really want. <laughs> he he's up, uh, he's on the one side. He seems to be doing his best to stop uh, the 
the warring, the uh, the conflict. Um, but at some point, he uh, he just he stops that attempt again because he sees the as a seer he sees what needs to be uh, what needs to happen. Then you were asking about uh, the if I understood what was the need to do the Ashvamedha, considering that mm, any act of charity, uh, of um, sacrifice, of austerity would counteract. Uh, is that is that what you were saying? Oops, I don't hear you. I <laughs> uh, will have to turn on your microphone. I will unmute yourself. Okay, yeah. Mara, at this section you, you reference, I'm aware of that section. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before that, he, he said every act of sacrifice can be counteracted by three principles. Yes. That is through sacrifice, through austerity, and through charity. Right. Okay, uh, my understanding would be that Vyasa is, mm, one of his functions was to be a priest, and in this case, the magnitude of what had taken place, this uh, terrible battle, was so great that even if not really necessary for Yudhishthir, there was a, a sense of need for, you can say, the country as a whole, that something on a big scale needs to be done. And Ashvamedha, is un, we understand it was quite a major undertaking. So, and... We can say also Yudhishthir as as Dharma personified, as uh, as Krishna's pure devotee. He didn't need any purification, uh, but for the sake of for the sake of, if you like, pie, piety and 
uh, restoration of order on a wider scale. It seems it was uh, it was taken to be a necessary action. In other words, Yudhishthir might he might have been persuaded by Vyasa, uh, but what about everyone else? Just like mm, in the Ramayana at the end, Lord Rama may well have been fully convinced of Sita's purity, but when the, what was it, washerman or something is scolding his wife and making some negative uh, comments uh, in relation to Sita, then Rama decides, okay, uh, if this is how people are thinking about Sita, then uh, she she needs to she needs to go. She cannot stay in the palace. Does that make sense? I don't. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it may not be the whole story, but that's how, that's as much as I can uh, bring up. I totally agree. <laughs> and, and in the process whereby the, the conception of the child was done, he uttered statement that because you were fearful or because you closed your eyes, so the child is going to be like this. So is it to be said that he, being Vyasadev, he is, the, uh, he is actually the one that creates the misfortune of the Kuravas? because of his utterance, of his statement. Mm. This is my first question, Mara. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to agree with you. It seems like the, the real fault, especially considering Vyasa, if he is the knower of the Veda, he will also know that uh, there needs to be the right conditions uh, 
for for a proper conception. Uh, he would be the one who knows the uh, details of dharma in this regard, and yet he seems to be ignoring all of that and just going ahead when he could have perhaps uh, said, "Wait, first we need to, you know, let's 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 first, um, I don't know, get acquainted or something. <laughs> let's get let's uh, make sure." You're in the right mood. But he didn't. And so, yes, I think we could say the blame would go uh, to Vyasa. What would Vyasa say if we put Vyasa into the courtroom and started making these accusations? What would he say? Uh, He might say, hey, I was just doing my duty. I was called by my mother. She said, you know, Here's what you need to do. So I did. I just. I'm following my mother. But in the context of that, he's a Brahmana. Yeah. A Brahmana is someone that composed Dharma. Yeah. So if he's just following his duty and he is neglecting the fact of Dharma, neglecting the fact of etiquette and morals of how one is supposed to relate. I think you would make a very good lawyer. <laughs> no, one of the thing one of the one of the things about the Mahabharata is that of course, the whole Mahabharata is very much um, wrestling with the question, what is Dharma? What is proper Dharma? And um, what you find is that there's never a clear answer. You get one one statement, and then there's something else, an, an opposing condition, or... There are overlapping dharmas, and which one do you take? And this is what happens in the Ramayana as well. Uh, This is, uh, anyway, that's another discussion. But um, in this case, you can say, well, Vyasa is following one dharma, which is to obey his mother, at the cost of another dharma, And so you can say the purport is that there's an there's something inadequate about dharma in general. And that's really what the, that's what the Bhagavatam is saying. Uh, Vyasa is going to say, you know, I I put I compiled this Mahabharata but it it's uh it's not really it misses the point. <laughs> Okay. My second question mm. is in regards to his children. Should we say, is it, can it be said that Shila Vyasadev led a successful family life? <laughs> can it be said like that? Because all his children in his presence, all his children, his generation, they all died. Yeah. 
can it can we say that he actually lived a successful family life? He actually lived a successful Griasta life. <laughs> well, first of all, it's pointed out um, by this scholar that I was referring to that Vyasa was uh, in, in actually not a Grihasta. He was a Vanaprasta without a wife. Now you may say, wait a minute, what about Shukadev? Well, there's different versions, uh, and what he refers to in this book about Shuka is that Shuka was uh, the result of a union with an Apsara, uh, <laughs> which is, anyway, that he appeared immediately after that union. Uh, and again, uh, Vyasa had otherwise nothing to do with the mother of Shuka. Similarly, he had nothing to do uh, with uh, the mothers of the three, Dhritarashtra, uh, Pandu, and Vidura, other than conceiving uh, uh, the, the children. So he was, he's, he's understood to have been not a Grihasta, So to, to ask, was he a, a successful Grihasta, I think we'd have to say no, nor was he trying to be a successful Grihasta. <laughs> okay. Hare <laughs> Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much, uh, Maharaj, for being on our platform. Uh, our platform is mostly uh, comprising of devotees from West Africa. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting to have somebody like you being on our platform, uh, which makes us understand yes. ISKCON means International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Mm. So, uh, we thank you for that. Well, it's my uh, great my pleasure. Question. Yes. <laughs> thank you. My question for today's class is, um, you rightly said in the big course of your lecture that Srila Vyasa Dev is called Trikalajana. Mm. In other words, uh, one who knows the past, present, and future. So he made lots of predictions. Now, if these predictions are things that are set in stones, they are bound to happen, then what is the need for us as devotees trying to preach? Because if somebody would um, become a devotee, it's already predestined. Yeah. Okay, that is uh, something of an age-old question. What is the relation between um, free will and destiny? And uh, to I, I'm I'm not just ready to do a whole lecture on that, and besides, we just had a lecture. <laughs> but it is a subject for a whole lecture. 
But uh, the short answer, I would say, is is that um, even something may be predestined, it is not entirely so. Predestination, there's you can say hard, uh, hard predestination and soft predestination. And in any case. Uh, if we go to the Bhagavad Gita, uh, in which we have Krishna telling Arjuna, look, I've already killed everybody. So all you can do is be my, my agent, my instrument. Still, the whole Bhagavad Gita is about choice. It's about uh, in, ur- urging Arjuna to make a choice. And at the very end, he is asking Arjuna to make the choice. He says, okay, I've told you everything. Now uh, you decide what you're going to do. And as I remember, it's um, perhaps Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur sort of adds that Krishna is saying, if, if you need it, if you need to, um, I can I can speak the entire Bhagavad Gita again for you. If you haven't decided what to do, I'll speak the whole thing again for you <laughs> to, help, to help you understand. <laughs> so there's two things. There's, uh, there's Daiva, and there's what's called Purushakara. Purushakara means agency. And of course, also in the 18th chapter of the Gita, uh, Krishna speaks of five factors, adhishtanam, tata, karta, karanam, chapritak, vida, vividais, chapritak, cheshta, daivam, chaiva, atrapanchama. Uh, the last of five uh, is daiva. Uh, the first is the doer, karta, uh, and the instruments of action, and then there's cheshta, the effort, uh, and the, the circumstance, the place. So it's not so simple. Uh, and we certainly, uh, let's put it this way, this would be a very, very poor excuse for a devotee to not preach. <laughs> If you went to your Guru Maharaj and said, Guru Maharaj, it's all predestined. Either they're going to be devotees or not. It's not going to make any difference whether I take books and go out and distribute them or not. So I'm not. You think Guru Maharaj is going to be satisfied with that? (laughs) Is he going to say, oh, actually, you're right. You should just stay home. I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, so I think we can end here. Thank you all so much for your kind participation. I wish you a wonderful, wonderful day and a wonderful week and a wonderful Kartik month.
Ram Ram Hare Hare Gaur Premanande. Hare Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Ram Ram Hare Hare Gaur Premanande